Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Eastside. My name is Eric Knox. I am the uh, lead campus pastor here. So welcome. Um, we're in a series kind of walking through the rhythms of our church. <clears throat> and uh, so today we're going to hit vocation and job <clears throat> or vocation and work. Man, vocation and work is uh, always a hard sermon to preach. <laughs> Hard sermon in the sense that it's, it's difficult sometimes to make it interesting. I mean, the bottom line is you just need to work, right? And do your work for the glory of God. But how do you make it engaging? And then the Spirit in Luke 15 comes and opens this text up. Uh, I know we've heard this text a million times. We've heard this sermon. We've read this passage a million times. But I want us to look at it from the perspective of work and vocation. Um, obviously, obviously, when you look at this passage, you're going to see two, two brothers, two sons. And usually we focus on the prodigal son, the younger brother, and not enough on the older brother. Today we're going to look at both. Now, at the outset, we, I want you to understand that we, we don't typically get the passage. And we don't see ourselves oftentimes as church folks as the older brother. I mean, just look at the passage itself and how it's titled. If you look in your Bible, it says the story of the prodigal son or the story of the lost son. You know it had to be an older brother that titled it that. Even as the writers are writing the Bibles, they're not even getting this. Okay? Huh. Okay, perfect. How's that? Can you turn down just a little for me? Now, it's easy for us to look at this passage and think that this passage is, is, uh, is exclusively and strictly about salvation. And though it is about salvation... One of the clearest ways that salvation is expressed in terms of how we tend to try and save ourselves is through work. It is one of the easiest, most natural, most fluid, most organic things that we do is oftentimes not just try and save ourselves, but the ways in which we try and save ourselves. And one of the ways that we try and save ourselves is through our employment, through our vocation, through our work. And this is exactly what we see here in this passage. We see two sons, two brothers, who are trying to save themselves through their work or through their non-work. And so this morning, we're going to unpack that. Now, I don't know about you, but, but my mom makes the best cake on the planet. Her cakes are off the chain. Her German chocolates her yellow cakes, they're off the chain. 
Now, I'm going to give you the secret recipe of what makes her cake so dope. What makes her cake so dope is how moist they are, how fulfilling they are, how satisfying they are. And the only way you can do that is by putting mayonnaise in the cake. I'm telling you, when you put the batter together, take a scoop of mayonnaise, put it in there, bake it, and I tell you, it'll melt in your mouth. But when, so when you eat my mom's cake, her cakes are off the chain. I mean, delicious, scrumptious, fulfilling, satisfying, whatever name you want to give it. But it's the bomb. But the difference between her cake and everybody else's cake is mayonnaise. That's the secret sauce that makes her cake a whole lot better than anyone else's cake that I've ever eaten. Now, I want you to understand something. What we see in this passage is two brothers working. But they're working without the secret sauce. They're doing their vocation. They're doing their job. But they're doing it without the mayonnaise. And I want you to know the mayonnaise for us isn't moralism. The mayonnaise for us is Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ in our life. And you can do church or non-church. You can do religion or non-religion. But if you don't have the mayonnaise working in your life, I guarantee you, whatever it is you're doing, just like the younger brother and the older brother, what you're going to end up finding is that you're doing life without the mayonnaise. And so what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this, not from just the story about being saved and non-saved, or about being a Christian or a non-Christian, or this thing against moralism versus being immoral. I want you to see this text from the perspective of work, from vocation, the very thing God's wired us to do. So I'm going to do, again, like I did last week, we're going to do some exegetical verse-by-verse working our way through the passage, and hopefully I can get through this. This is verse 11 through 32. You think we can do this in 30 minutes? Okay. Okay, all right. Let's do it then. Look at this in verse 11 and 12. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So what does the father do? Being the good pop that he is, he divides the property between them. Now I want you to see the younger brother and seeing it from his perspective. First and foremost, do you see how insulting he is to the father? He's asking for his inheritance now. Nobody gets their inheritance until after the father has passed away. So essentially what he's saying to his dad is, I wish you were dead. I wish you weren't even here. I want my resources that I'm supposed to get from the family business now. And so basically he's absolutely insulting the father. He's wishing that the father was dead. And then getting stuff isn't a way of working. Getting stuff is a way of avoiding work because what does he do when he gets the stuff? He goes off to a foreign country and blows it on loose living. So for him, employment, work, vocation is a way of not working. 
For most of us, it's like, I want to work to not work. And God says work was designed during creation, before the fall, that God has hardwired you for work. And this brother is trying to avoid work through his resources. But look at the father. Look at his heart. What does he do? He, he's, he breaks up some of the family business, some of the inheritance, and he gives it to his son. This is what the, here you see at the very essence of who the father is, what he does is he's willing to live on less now because he's given the inheritance to his son to give more. This is the heart of the father. This is the kingdom of God at work. This is our heavenly father saying, I'm willing to downsize to bless my son, which is a better way of working, living on less to give more, to use your resources it's not about upward mobility. It's about downward mobility. It's about using your resource to bless others. And this is the heart of the Father when it comes to work and vocation. This is how he lives. And this is what he does with his son. Now look at this. In verse 13, not long after that, the younger son, he gets together all that he has and sets off for distant countries and dis and squanders his wealth in wild living. Now, you got to remember this. At this point, this is an agrarian culture. This is not a currency or capital culture. So what the son does, it says that not long after this, in other words, he takes his inheritance and he liquefies it. He takes this asset, which was an agrarian asset, and he liquefies it so that he can take cart off his resources to a foreign country. Which is another way of um, humiliating his father. But pay attention here. What he does is, is that he, he takes it, he liquefies it, and you got to understand something. In an agrarian culture, when you, when you take something and reduce it down to currency, which wasn't how they operated back in that day, basically, you have to sell that at a deep discount. This ain't live. I mean, this ain't land. This ain't livestock. This isn't animals. This isn't personal belongings. This is selling that stuff off for money. And so in order for him to do this, he's going to have to, because he did it quickly, he has to reduce this down. He has to shrink this down. He has to sell this at a very deep discount which is another way of humiliating his father. Because can you imagine if the dad's got a Cadillac that's worth $50,000 and he's out there selling it for $25,000 and as the dad you see one of your buddies driving your Cadillac at a deeper discount and this is exactly what the younger son does. He took his resources and he sold it at a dis, uh, deep discount and he went off to a foreign country, which is another way of humiliating his dad because he leaves home. He leaves Jewish territory. He leaves safety and security. He leaves his father's presence. And look with me in verse 14 through 16. He just goes down, down, down. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, what's ha- what happens first when he gets to this country? There was a severe famine. Now, a famine just doesn't happen overnight. What usually precedes a famine? A drought. And what happens in a drought when you have resources? What happens in a drought is, is that everything gets inflated because things are hard to come by. So what does he do? He already discounted his money. He goes into a foreign country, and what is he doing? Buying high. Because there was a drought that led to a famine, and resources were scarce. So if he's going to buy stuff, he's going to spend high. So even his business sense is all skewed. Skewed. Because he sells low all of his resources when he was with his father, and then he ends up in a foreign country and he pays high. Now, most of you know that is not good business sense. Good business sense says you always buy what? Low, and then you sell high. So you see how messed up this guy is, how twisted he is. Let's continue. It says, after he had spent everything, in verse 14, there was a severe famine in that whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So here you see this young son spiraling. He sells low. He buys high. He loses everything. He's at a hog farm, living, working in a pig slop. And can it get any worse for him? Because if you know your Bible, in the Old Testament, Jewish folks never hung out with anything that was, or ate anything that was ceremonially unclean. And here he is working in a pig slop. He wasn't even supposed to be touching a pig let alone working in a pig farm. So he is ceremonially unclean. He is spiritually not on point. And then he comes to his senses. Look with me. Which gets to the heart of our work and our vocation. Verse 17. And when he come to a sense, when he came to a census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So he comes to his senses. And I don't know if you've heard this sermon preached a million times. I've heard many people say at this point when he comes to his senses, this is proof that he's repenting or coming to a place of repentance. I don't think he is coming to a place of repentance. In fact, when he thinks about going home, he has no thoughts about really engaging the father. Notice he says, How many, he says, when he comes to a census, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? So his whole motivation, in terms of even going back to work, is not for his father, it's for position and provision. How many of my fathers have food? How many of my father's hired servants have food? And he says, I'll go be like one of the hired servants. So here he is, I'll be like a hired servant. He's going to get a position and he's going to get fed which is another way of being provided for. And oftentimes, 
we have found, even in our own life, what the gospel wants to do is unhook us from is this sense of transforming and turning our work upside down. Because oftentimes when we get thinking through the issues of work and, and vocation, a lot of it is driven by position and provision. And it has nothing to do with the father. So when he came to a census, his work or getting hired by his dad had nothing to do with being connected to his father. It had everything to do about reestablishing his position, his status. And it was about provision. It was about resources. What could he get from his father? But look with me. It says, when he had come to a census, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. He says, I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Look at this. Make me like one of your hired servants. Make me like one of your hired servants. He's still trying to manage his father. <laughs> he wanted to work. You got to understand, a, 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 a servant back then was a person that would go work on a piece of property, earn a fair wage, and then go home and do whatever he wanted with his resources. So here's the younger brother even as he thinks through the issues of work and vocation, he decides, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to work like a hired servant. I'm going to earn a wage and then I'm going to go do what I want to do. So he wanted to work, but he wanted to maintain a certain level of freedom. None of this had anything to do with him reconnecting with his father, getting his life right with his father. It was all about him. So he heads off. In verse 20, and so he got up and he went to his father. But while he but while but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Do you see the heart of the father here? The father's the patriarch. The father's already been dissed by his son. And yet, what does the father do when he sees him? We know the story. He runs to him. For patriarchs, they don't run to people. People run to them. But yet, the father sees his son. And he runs to him. And what does he do? He throws his arms around him. And he kisses him. What does the father do? Why does he love him? Why does he run to him? Why does he kiss him? Because he knows on a certain level, through this son's experience, reality starts to set in. And that's the beauty and power of work. 
it creates a certain level of, of uh, it creates a certain level of reality in our life. I'm not saying that it redeems us, but it, it gives us a certain level of perspective. And so the son comes home. The father loves him, runs to him, gives him a kiss. Look at verse 21. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, mind you, in verse 17 and 18, well, verse 18, he says, I will set out, go back to my father's house and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So prior to going to see his father, he had already had a script of what he was going to say. And part of it was, give me a job. And now he comes to his dad and he didn't even say this. It says, he says to the father, he says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, period. He didn't say anything about employment, work, vocation, any of that stuff. He didn't even about the money anymore. This ain't even transaction anymore. He's not even trying to make God his boss. Or he's not even trying to make, yeah, he's not trying to be God's boss. What does the father do? Verse 22. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. He says, let's have a feast and celebrate. He says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Do you see what the father does? He's blown it in every possible way. And what does the father do? He gives him a robe. He gives him a ring. He kills the fattened calf and he celebrates. I don't know about you, but when your son and daughter have done disobedient things, what is the first thing you want to do? Throw him a party. But what does he do? He gives, him a, he gives him a party. He gives him a robe, a ring. He reestablishes his status. He isn't a slave. He sees him as a son. This isn't about work anymore. The father's doting over him. The father's killing a fattened calf. He's throwing a big old party. Father didn't even talk to him about work. I may have shared this story before, but I'll share it again. When I first got here, Rick hired me, and I asked him, what's my job description? And he goes, you create it. So I created a little job description, because I was still trying to figure out this new Portland. And after six months, I was a little discouraged, because I felt like I was stealing money. I was like, every week, I was like, okay, what do I do with myself? Like, where do I fit in? What's my role? And finally, after six months, I asked Rick if we could go out to lunch. And we went out to lunch, and I was really discouraged at the time. And I said, man, I don't know if I'm stealing money or if I just need to be patient and wait, see what God does. 
and then look for those opportunities and, and, and then go for it here in the city. I said, but in the meantime, I said, you asked me to create a job description for myself. Let me flip that. Can you create a job description for me so I can just get to doing stuff as I figure out what I'm supposed to be doing here in Portland? And so he took a napkin and he wrote something on the napkin. He flipped it back over and he pushed it across the table and he said, there's your job description. So I grabbed the napkin, I looked up and it said, be God's son. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. When I was asking him the question about job description, basically what I was doing is help me recreate my identity. Help me recreate my value system, my sense of self-worth. I couldn't be a son without work. And here's the first thing the father does with his son. Does he put him to work? No, he celebrates. He throws a party. He says, rejoice. <laughs> he kills the fattened calf. Don't you understand before you work, what needs to unhook you is to understand that your work can't make you a better daughter, a better son, more fulfilled, more value, more significant. The only thing that can make you more value and significant is being at the very center of God's heart. That God dotes over you, that God celebrates over you just the way you are. The son was trying to prove himself through his resources by non-working. <laughs> and so the father starts with sonship before he gets to workmanship. And oftentimes we have that in reverse. It's about being a worker, workmanship, that creates sonship. Good son, good daughter, whatever. The gospel reverses that. Now let's look at the work through the perspective of the older son. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on your brother has come he replied and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound the older brother became angry and refused to go in so his father went out and pleaded with him but he answered his father look all these years i've been slaving for you listen to that i've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Think about that for a minute. He said, for so many years, I've been slaving for you. Look at how he looks at his work and his vocation. Number one, he owned everything, right? The father has sold half the inheritance and gave it to the younger brother, so who do you think the other half went through to? It went to the older brother. So he already owned everything, so this wasn't even about money or resources or any of that stuff because it was all his. What was it about? It was about approval. It was about the father's acceptance because money is taken off the table. And so this is how he's working. His work is through acceptance and through approval. The younger brother's 
work and vocation is about power and privilege. And yet the kingdom of God, the gospel comes in to unhook us from this. And this is what he's doing with the older brother. So in verse 30, he says, but when this, listen to him, he says, but when this son of yours, the older brother going in on the younger brother, he's othering him. He doesn't even own him as a brother. He calls it him your son. <laughs> he says, when this son of yours was uh, who, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. Look at this. But we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate. Do you understand what the invitation was for the older brother from the father? Do you think the invitation was about the party? It wasn't about the party. He wasn't inviting him so much to the party. What he was inviting him to is to participate in the party. To help him plan the party. This is the beauty of this whole thing here. I mean, even when you read in Luke chapter 14, when you think about the great banquet in Luke 14, in verse 15 through 24, look at this. It says this, and I'm not going to unpack it, but look at it. It says, here's Jesus. He says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who eats at the feast of the kingdom of God. Because here's Jesus says to his servants, go out and invite everyone. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they are all alike. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered the servant, go out quickly in the streets and alleys, towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant says, what? What you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told him, go out to the roads and countries and lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. This has got little to do about the feast, the party itself. This is about this servant participating with the father in preparing the party. Have you ever seen back in the day MTV, My Sweet 16? It is so ungodly and sick. These 16-year-olds getting $250,000 birthday parties thrown for them. Well, you only see the, the last minute of, of the show was the party itself. Everything else was everything that led up to the party. I don't know about you. I used to throw parties. I was a big party dude. I threw a lot of parties. And the beautiful piece of the party was the reflection after, right? The fun, the, the, the hanging out, the intimacy, etc. Wasn't so much just the party itself. It was all the prep that went into the party. And this is exactly what the father's inviting the older brother to. Not just the party, but planning the party to be a part of the kingdom business. Right? Of what the father does. God invites us into the party. 
not just to be celebrated, but to participate. To be about the Father's vocation and work of seeing people come into the kingdom of God, of going into the highways and byways and bidding people in to, to be a part of this, to not, not just be there, but to plan. This is the kingdom of God. He invites his servants. He invites his children to be a part of this amazing work. But the only way that happens is when we unhook, unhook ourselves. And only the gospel can unhook us from power and privilege on one hand and status and approval and acceptance on the other. God invites us into this feast to not be there and eat and drink, but to be his servants out into the highways and byways, being about the father's business, his work. And when we're unhooked like the two brothers, we're able to do the stuff. We're able to engage all types of people. We're able to go to the disenfranchised, the broken, the marginalized, those that have been pushed to the edges and invite those whom the Father uses as a way to usher in the kingdom. So what do you see yourself this morning? And how do you see your work? Is it a way to get status? Is it a way to move up the rung, rung to accrue more power? Is it a way to reinforce privilege? Is it a way of getting on the treadmill of works to try and earn God's favor, goodness, acceptance, significance? The gospel comes to unhook us from all that. He invites us in. And he not only invites us into the party, he invites us to participate in the party, to use our resources, all that we've been given in Christ, to invite others in, to use our work, to use our vocation, to use our employment as a way to invite others in to work a different way, to work upside down, to be counterintuitive, to be different. So this morning, we're going to come to the communion table and we're going to eat of the bread and the wine. And we're going to ask ourselves this, God, will you unhook me? Will you unhook me from the different ways I've used my sense of vocation and my work to not honor you, but to dishonor you? Let's pray. Jesus, will you unhook us? this morning. We have taken your resources 
and use them for other things except you. Like the younger brother, we have taken our job and our vocation. And underneath it, it's been driven by things that do not honor you. And like the older brother, we've been very religious and moral. But we've used it, but we've used our our work as a way to feel better than other people superior to other people. We've used our work ethic and our discipline to prove to ourselves that our life matters and counts. And today, God, you have a new metric, a new way of measuring who we are. And that's in the party where our status is unchanged. It's secured in you. And we don't sit there and eat and be celebrated. We celebrate others. We are about the Father's business. We give up less. We break up the farm in our own life. We break up the estate in our own life to live with less in order to give more. And so as we come to this communion table, would you do a work in our heart? Will you help us see ourselves in this story? And will you change the way we go about our vocation work May it be more reflective of the gospel and the kingdom. May the kingdom of God, as we take of the cup and eat from the bread, may the kingdom of God break in more and more into our own heart first so that we can live subversively. In Jesus' name. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.